Welcome to episode 12 of the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Harmio. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary, tell me about your week. So last week, a couple days ago, um, you sent me a, such an amazing message on Thursday morning. I think it was Thursday morning. Yeah, it feels like Friday a long morning. time ago. <laughs> it does, but, if, but it, was, it was a long weekend. <laughs> yes. Um, that we had our first review of our podcast, a review from someone who's not related to us yes. or married to us <laughs> or gave birth to us. <laughs> yes. Um, a dude in a bro podcast reviewed our show and it was an absolutely amazing review. I am, um, blown away, not only because they were speaking so highly of us, but because they got it, like they got yes. what we were doing. And I found that like, it just seemed it just, it was unbelievable. Like everything yeah. that they talked about, like just the local politics, how important it is having to, to talk about these stories and how important elections are. And, and yeah, and that things are not always on the federal level and that these local stories are important too. Yes. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Um, so I really want to thank them. And uh, it's just great to hear that kind of feedback. I love it. I know that we're wanting to be reviewed by other uh, magazines and, and podcasts. So I, I really appreciate it. They're on Primal Stream Media. You can check out their podcast on Spotify yeah, um, and Podchaser. And they're like really nice guys. And, uh, it and was they just review super... a, a ton of other podcasts. Like yes. You can go check out their website and see all the other great shows that they've yes. reviewed and talked about. Yes. Yeah. And they talked about, well, they do bigger shows, like more mainstream shows. So one of them had said that, um, that it was nice to know that there's little gems out there like ours. And I was like, oh. damn. So, and I also wanted to clear it up and they didn't know who was Tina and who was Hillary. So let me clear it up for you. I'm, Hillary is the one who curses all the time. Yes. I'm the reason there's an, ex there's an explicit rating <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Tina will not do the cursing. I will do the cursing because that's how I talk and that's how this goes. So, uh, that's how you know who's who. Yes. On the podcast. Yes. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, which is uh, a different, um, different, uh, uh, moment last week was the uh, the passing of Mayor Justin Flippin. He was the yes. mayor of uh, the city of Walton Manors here in South Florida. Um, he was an amazing man and a good friend to the community and to organizations that we're a part of. Uh, he was 41 years old, and we've mm. recently found out that he had a brain aneurysm. And, it, of course, brain aneurysms come out of nowhere. Yeah. And um, he passed away. Um, and at 41, he had accomplished so much and was... Um, a politician unlike something we would someone we would cover here. Yeah, you know? he was just really full of light, always had a oh, smile yeah. on his face and just really warm and friendly and yes. welcoming and yep. um made people feel like they could just come up and talk to him. Yes, he was a wonderful man and uh every time my husband is a big fan of national parks and Justin had been to every single national park in the United States. Wow. Yes. That's had, incredible. It's incredible and he loved talking about it. Every time he'd go, he'd be going to a national park where he went on vacation and so his entire refrigerator had magnets from every single national oh, park. Oh, I love Isn't that. Isn't that amazing? That's his just amazing. love of America and our history and the parks and so um he was an amazing man and a good friend to so many people that we know and I'm I'm definitely going to miss seeing him and uh you know, South Florida's mm. missing a giant for sure yes. with the passing of Justin. Oh. Yeah, that was that was really sad and unfortunate to hear. Yes. So oh. you're first this week. I am. Let's do it. So um, of course I wanna mention the zillion sources. <laughs> <laughs> um and again I won't go into 
all of them. I feel like I always have like 30 different sources <laughs> in my source list. So you can go to um, our blog um, of our website to check those out. And again, always take a deeper dive. But I got a lot from Wikimedia, a lot from the New York Times, from an Ian Urb- Urbina um, and some other writers, um, some NPR articles, Citizen's Voice, the New York Post, uh, Reuters, Washington Post, etc. So there are a ton of sources that I just want to make sure you guys go and check out so that you can see the amazing work that the journalists have done uh, with this particular story. So um, my husband actually uh, suggested this case for me and I was a little bit familiar with it, but not too much. And when I started looking into it, I was like, this story is insane. Oh, gosh, let's do it. So today I'm going to tell you the story of former president judge of Luzerne County, Pennsylvania Court of Common Pleas, <laughs> Mark Ciavarella. So I'm not sure if you know this story. I don't. Um, but you might once I get into it. it. It might sound familiar. Okay. So Mark Ciavarella worked as an attorney for several years in wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania, before running for a 10-year judge seat in 1995 on the Democratic ticket, which he won. And in 2005, uh, he was reelected to another 10-year term. And in addition to his work as a judge, Ciavarella served in several Catholic and civic organizations in the community and did, you know, that sort of work in his uh, time outside of working as a judge. But when the <laughs> FBI gets Here tipped off... yes about accusations of nepotism and questionable sentencing of kids, Mm-mm. the soulless part of Ciarfarella's mucked-up character is beyond redemption. So um, the story takes place, like I said, in Luzerne County, um, specifically wilkes Bar, and this community is near Scranton, Pennsylvania. Hey! The office! Yeah! So it's an old historic city. It was founded in the late 18th century, and it was known for its coal industry. But in uh, late 1950s and 1959, there was uh, the Knox Mine disaster. There were several like mining accidents, but this big disaster was something that kind of crushed the coal industry in that town. And they started moving towards manufacturing and retail. And Sia, Sia Varela grew up during this um, sort of time. He graduated high school in the 70s. He went to King's College. Then he went to Duquesne University uh, for law school. And so both of those schools are Catholic universities. So his faith was pretty important to him. Right. Um, but what did he do? Well, in 2009, Sia Varela was indicted on fraud and kickback charges connected to his handing down of longer sentences to children hmm. for a for-profit prison. Oh, not good. This is not good. Like what he did to thousands. No, Tina, come on. Thousands of children is really horrific. So... Before I go into the details of that case, I want to give you a little bit of background. And I really couldn't find, I couldn't dig up much um, of his early days, um, but I did get some stuff on his reputation a bit as a judge. So he did start his career as a lawyer. And then in the mid to late 70s, um, he worked for the city zoning board. Um, He served as an attorney for the Wyoming Valley Catholic Youth Center. Mm. He also worked as as an athletic director and a swim coach for the girls team. Um, And then in 95, he ran for that judge's seat. 
Um, but when he was running for judge, he campaigned as someone who would be tough on crime. Like this was his big platform. And he definitely, though, took this way too far. And when he was running, he claimed that if parents were unable to teach their kids how to follow the rules, he would do it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So he's there. He's there to make sure that uh, these kids get the punishments that they deserve. Like a demented Sesame Street character. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so his daughter um, at one point even said that growing up, he was a sort of zero tolerance guy, like curfew mm. and things like that. Like he was just tough all around. And he was also known to say that he'd throw kids in jail if given the chance, depending on, you know, the crime. And even before his indictment, there were some youth advocates that said that the constitutional rights of kids sentenced under this guy were violated, that he was too tough. And one article said that in a four-year period, he sent 25% of the kids who came before him to jail, where statewide, the percentage of kids that were being sentenced to actual jail time was about... 10%. So he was more than double what other areas of the state were doing, which should have been cause for scrutiny. Like people should have said, what's going on in this little town um, that is causing I this? I feel like judges have so much power. I, I'm sure that prosecutors and defense attorneys are could say something, but a judge holds so much power that if you start to file complaints, the second you walk back into that courtroom... Right. Your your clients are in trouble. Yeah. Because and, now he's coming after you. And there were people that said, well, he's the judge. Right. That this is what the judge said, and we right. followed what the judge said. Right, right. Um, but other people said, yeah, but. Right. But, like, you're seeing that some of his practices were not on the up and up. And to me, there's culpability there, like in silence. There was you an know? episode of Law & Order uh, SVU. And a girl had sent a dun, sexting. Dun, dun. Was that it? <laughs> yes. No, it's dun dun. I, dun, I can't dun, do dun, it. <laughs> uh, there was this, an episode where a girl sent, um, you know, a sexting picture to her boyfriend, and the parents of the boyfriend, I, I believe, this is how it got upset, and she went in front of this judge and was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again." Because you know, it's child pornography. Now you can yes. get in trouble. Whatever. And she ended up sending this girl to jail to make an example of her. And then, when, of course, when the detectives were like, this is crazy. Why would you do this? It was a for-profit thing. And yes. she was getting payoffs. <laughs> yes. This is so this is, wrote, yeah, yeah, this this is, it was probably uh, maybe loosely based on this maybe. guy. Yeah, yeah. Ripped from so, the headlines. Yes. So the other thing that is interesting is, as judge, the local schools actually supported him throughout his tenure. And they often sent him students known to cause trouble. And they had the police and the judge handle the situation rather than handle it in-house. Oh, boy. This is like the epitome of the school-to-prison pipeline. Yeah, it, that's exactly what you it know, is. Pushing yeah. kids out of school and into jail. Yep. And he even justified his tough judgments, and he would highlight, like, the low recidivism rates, saying, like, like the kids that come before me and serve their time, like, rarely end up back in jail or rarely cause um, or or partake in other crimes. So like like he's doing this good service. Oh, great. Thank you. Right. So how does Ciavarella finally go down? Well, thankfully, there was the Philadelphia Juvenile Law Center. And they came forward saying that there were several families who tried to get court-appointed lawyers for their kids, and they kept getting denied. Or they had to wait weeks or months for counsel. And they came to the law center for help saying, listen, something's not right here. And over the years, there were a couple complaints that sort of never went anywhere that they didn't follow through on. And then finally, there was one particular case, and I'll, I'll mention 
um, that case a little bit later where a mother went to them and that was one of the cases that like really got the ball rolling and the investigation started. So allegedly he and another judge took close to $3 million from a Robert Merkel, who was a contractor and a Robert Powell, who was a businessman and lawyer. And the two judges and in exchange for that cash, like they basically made it possible for those two to build Mm. a for-profit prison. And they would ensure that that facility was filled, that the beds were filled. And they would hand out whatever sentences they saw fit to make that happen. Wow. So Ciavarella didn't work alone. There's this other judge. And I don't really get into him too much. And again, you can deep dive in and, and take a look in because there's so much to this case. There's a great documentary called Kids for Cash um, that tells the story about this, but also tells the story of the kids who were affected by this. And I, it's, it's I can't incredible even imagine. Well, and it's so horrible. Yes. And when you're talking about people, These not, are kids. yeah. And when you're talking oh. about people not sa- not saying what's going on or like, oh, he's the judge. The fact of the matter is the other side of that is this kid's going away now. Yes. Like that's where from this. From their family, from their parents. In a dangerous, and, in, and, in being and in danger. young kids, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds. No, 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 no. no good. So the gu- other judge involved was this guy named Michael Conahan, And he shut down the Pennsylvania State-run Juvie Center in 2002. And so to make way. They needed it, right. Right, to make way right, for the private right. prison. So... And private prisons often become options because they cost the state less money. Right. But the problem with that becomes twofold, right? One, they can avoid scrutiny because a right. state facility has to have inspections and mm. audits and all of that other stuff that a private institution doesn't have to follow. Right. And then the other thing is it's a prison that is for profit. They have to make money. How do you make money? It's Cut by costs. how many heads yes. are in there. Yes. Cutting costs, right? And this is why prison systems, I believe, should not be privatized. Mm-hmm. People's lives are at stake. And I feel like if you're if everything's about the bottom line, then you're not thinking about the people that are coming in there. They're only they're they're money. And it's not about keeping people safe. It's not about rehabilitation. So instead of community service or other, you know, uh, ways of rehabilitating someone for a minor infraction, there's a legitimate fear, right, that a real sentence is going to be handed down because they want to fill seats and make money. Right. It's insane to me that this is even happening, but it it, it happens. I mean, oh, I, in, in so our much, state. There's so much that happens. It's not, oh, it's so dark, Tina. It's I know. so dark. It, it's, this story is bonkers. So Ciavarella and Conahan felt that because they helped Powell out um, and and um, the the other fellow get the deal for the private prison, that they were somehow owed a share of the profits. Ooh, so what? it wasn't like that. This <laughs> it, it wasn't like the for profit guys were like, yeah, let's make this deal. Like they got pressured by the judges. Holy and, cow! And they testified at one point that these two these judges, Ciavarella and Conahan, even noted to them, "Quote, look, you're in this business. We helped you get into it. You're making a lot of money. You're gonna give us some." Holy cow. And they were like, well, what are we going to do? Yeah. So um, they felt pressure. So Ciavarella, who's taking money from this institution, he's not claiming any of this extra income, should have recused (laughs) himself 
from any of these cases that would go to that facility and step down. But why would he, right? He knows the more sentences he puts in, the more cash he's going to get. Yes. So how does he do what he did? Well, sometimes he would get the help of police and he would get kids to waive their right to an attorney. Whoa. They would come in and they, and he, he created forms. He actually like made his own documents and like the kids would come in, right? And we're going to sign off. Wow. And then they're going to come before me and they've waived their right to an attorney. Oh my yes. God. The trial. But without an adult, you yeah. can do that without an apparent, a, a parent or guardian? He, they, yeah, this is what oh, they did. Oh, it's so evil. It's, it's horrible. So, um, this trial, and like I said, for lack of a better word, they would be minutes long, minutes, sometimes under five minutes. <gasps> they would come, they would come in in under five minutes. He's like, oh, you're going to jail for six months. Up, oh, you're going to jail for three months. Up, oh, you're going to jail for whatever amount of time. And he would even let the facility know beforehand, like say he had 20 kids on the docket for that day. You're going to expect 20 kids today before even seeing any of them or hearing any of the cases. Oh my God. Yeah. So, and not to mention that the state law outlined that most of these kids should be sent back home when possible. We don't want to put kids in jail. So we want to find other means. And also like what communities are being affected by this? So are we talking about white kids or no? I um, mean, no. So does it the, matter? There are, there were some white kids. Yes. Um, but there are also kids of color mm-hmm. for sure. Um, it's unbelievable. It's, 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 it's insane. Um, also there's a, what about that serial podcast? The last one they did the serial, you know, NPR serial. Yes. The last one they did was about the, I think it was the Cincinnati court. There was like one courthouse in Cincinnati or it might've been Cleveland. That's unbelievable. And it's like this where you're in the courtroom and you're listening to the judges go on and on and like, it's so wild what happens and yeah. how they talk to people and how they sentence people and how they, wow, man. And it's, so these it's, are kids. No, no. It's, I know. it's like so, this to me is, it's so horrible, dark. So, um, how do you sleep? You know, like, I don't how know. do you go home and sleep at night? When I don't you're doing know. This? And you're like this, this Catholic. Oh, honey, please. So, um, they get sent to these, there were two facilities and they would get sent, you know, to one or the other. And the space, according to some of the former residents, crawled with cockroaches. No. You know, like it wasn't, you know, completely sanitary. And the guy took kids who committed minor, petty, stupid crimes. Some offenses really can't even be called crimes. Like it's just stupid kid behavior and took them away from their families for money. So there were thousands of cases and there were a couple that stood out. So the first one um, that stood out was because the mom of this particular girl was the one that went to that, that law center and insisted that her okay. daughter get out of right. jail. And mm-hmm. that sort of was another thing that pressed this thing forward. And this, this was her, her crime. I'm using air quotes here. Um, one girl, this girl set up a fake account on MySpace of her school's assistant principal. So basically she went online, she made up a MySpace page that in the character of her principal as if it was that vice principal's page, Mm -hmm. but put on there like this is a fake account and then put a bunch of crap on there because it's kids and they're going to, you know, uh, dog on the administration. It's just what kids do. It's part of like being in high school. They think their principals are annoying or whatever. Right. It wasn't the right thing to do. You're putting someone's uh, face and information out there, but maybe get suspended from school 
right? Yeah. He sentences her to three months in jail. What? Three months in jail. Her mom gets her out in three weeks. And again, this is the case that kind of shines the light on everything. Another boy was going into cars and like stealing change. And he ended up with, I think it was enough change to buy like a bag of chips and a soda. And he sent him to jail for 10 months. Holy shit. 10 months in jail. Come on. No. The other one that stood out is really a horrific story. And it was a boy by the name of Ed Kenzokowski who was sentenced for months. Um, And initially, this story is really sad because it initially started as a scare tactic. Like his dad was kind of worried he was drinking and like kind of misbehaving. And he was this all-star wrestler in high school and he was sort of just getting into trouble. And so his dad knew some cops and um, said, let's scare him. So they planted a a marijuana pipe in the kid's car. In the fuck... And they do the arrest and the whole thing like to freak him out. And he ends up before this judge and he ends up getting sent away. Um, Why for would months. they do that? I don't know, but the judge sends him away. And then he ends up like having this car accident. He gets resentenced again by the judge. Um, and he ends up in a fight and he gets resentenced again. So the first incident actually ends up exposing him to. Yeah. Once you're in the system. Different things. Here we go. And he was so angry. Yeah. Um, and it really reminded me of that HBO show, uh, The Night Of. Yes. You know, you have oh that that character who ends up in jail and, and, and he is completely changed. Yes. It changes his mindset. It changes everything about him. And these are kids and they're going to be shaped by, by traumatic things like this. And he never got over the effect of his time in jail. And after his final release, he and his dad are having this argument and he takes a gun <gasps> and no. he, he ends up committing suicide. No, it's, Tina, I know, stop it. I, it's horrible. And his mom, I have a, a, a picture of, um, on the steps of the courthouse, um, they're, they're talking about issues of the case and Sia Varela is out there with his attorney and the press oh. is there and all the microphones and she comes out and she's like, you killed my son and she's cursing and screaming and it's so full of anguish. Um, but we'll post the picture and she's just screaming. Wow, look at her face. She's just screaming at him and oh, she is, sweet she angel. was like, how it, it's horrible. So, and I agree with her. His decision put this kid on a path that he couldn't get off of because it happened like his senior year. He was this athlete. He couldn't play his games. You know, the, any potential scholarship is gone. So he probably saw everything unraveling and just yes. couldn't get it back. And it's terrible. So the documentary, like I said, called Kids for Cash, delves into the details and highlights some of these kids and talks to them about the impact of even being there for a month or longer and what this did to their lives and it's it's a really um uh and i have a link to it in our notes and if you can check it out i think it it's it's just terrible so in addition to all of this horrific behavior when he gets busted he and conahan try to convince powell um the guy running the the businessman and lawyer running this place um to stick to a story that they've come up with to address the fed's concerns basically um, that they didn't take money, that, you know, they, they come up whatever the cockamamie scheme is, and 
there's this awesome resource from case law in the notes that outlines all the counts and details of the case. And it's really bonkers. Um, what they try to do to finagle and get out right. of the situation. Right. But in the end, the charges are racketeering, mm-hmm. honest services, mail fraud, money laundering, false tax returns, etc. And the aftermath is, uh, Ciavarella is sentenced to 28 years in prison. He goes to a medium security prison in Kentucky. I feel like he should go to max and just face the harshest of, of punishments, but mm-hmm. he's in a more low level prison. Um, and basically he's sentenced to that for taking $1 million in bribes wow. uh, from the for-profit juvenile detention centers. He's ordered to pay $1.7 million in dollars in restitution. He's disbarred both of them in uh, both of the judges, mm-hmm. Conahan as well in 2009. And Conahan was sentenced to 17 years in prison. He's actually in a Florida prison. And after sentencing, the U.S. attorney, uh, Peter Smith, said, Mr. Ciavarella abused his position of trust and inflicted a deep and lasting wound on the community he vowed to service. I mean, it's, I just feel like the lasting impact of this case is... Thousands of kids. Thousands. It's insane. It was over, one report said it was over like a 10, 12-year period that he's doing this. So... A couple points of interest that I thought were interesting um, when I was researching was there was one guy that was trying to like uh, shed some light. And so an audit uh, was leaked. So this the county controller leaks an audit uh, that addressed the leasing agreement of the juvenile center and like it was trying to say like, there's something not right here. Uh, but the center's owner that Powell turns around and sues the controller and conveniently Conahan, right? The judge that's involved with Sierra, uh, Sierra Varela seals all the records because they want to keep a lid on their shady business. And later on, when all of this comes out, those records are unsealed, mm. but it's just, it's, it's crazy. Um, 4,000 of Sierra Varela's convictions were thrown out by the Pennsylvania Supreme court. 4,000. Wow. Yeah. wow. Can you imagine? 4,000 lives. So, it reminds me of like detectives that screw up a case. All of a sudden they, they, they you know, they, they find out on one case this guy's like screwed with the evidence to yes. make it go point to somebody. Now it's all of a sudden like every single case he ever worked on is now got to be questionable. Yeah. yeah. So several hundred families file a class action suit uh, against Sia Varela and Conahan and they end up um, winning a $4.75 million settlement from Powell and Earlier, they uh, earned a $2.5 million settlement from the detention centers, mm. but I couldn't get confirmation because the cases were like still ongoing on on the settlement against uh, Ciavarella and Conahan, like what the final number right. was or if it finally like was attributed to them because they did have to pay um, money back, but that's separate from like this class action lawsuit. Right, right. And then um, one of their attorneys stated uh, of the 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 people in the class action suit was at the hands of two grossly corrupt judges and several conspirators, hundreds of Pennsylvania children, their families and loved ones were victimized and their civil rights were violated. Mm. So at first, Ciavarella and Conahan take a plea deal, but thankfully a district judge was like, no, because <laughs> it was like a seven year plea deal. And he was like, no way, like this is not enough for what you've done. And so 
Siavarella, though, he keeps trying to appeal the sentencing and his appeals do keep getting rejected. However, in 2019, just last year, mm. the charges concerning the honest services mail fraud, which in this case is, you know, it's usually for a bribe. And um, it usually means like you're taking money, like I'm making decisions based on the money that you're giving me. Okay. Right. And um, for this case, the racketeering conspiracy to commit racketeering and all of the laundering charges are sort of wrapped up in this. And those charges get dropped because of the statutes of limitations hmm. when the first, like for some of those charges when they first happened versus when they went to court. Okay. And so they were like, well, the statutes of limitation was up, so we can't charge you for these particular hmm. counts of racketeering. But there might be other racketeering from later on that he's still culpable for. So some of that goes away. Um, and the feds can retry it, but they they, they decided, they said, they came out and said, we're not going to retry on those particular charges. And this now opens the door for him to get some years shaved off his oh, sentencing. No. So this, even up to um, January of this year, is still a conversation. So he was sentenced to 28 years, but it might go down maybe to 20 years. And, and of course, the people and the victims are like, this is bullshit. Right. You know? So um, the guy that brokered the deal, the construction company guy that paid the two judges the $2.1 million, he only got a year in present for his role. Um, but he cooperated and he, you know... Um, basically gave them all the info because it was the judges that were the ones right. like, pressuring them yes. and all of this. So um, in addition to the initial money that they received, uh, they allegedly also received from Powell $140,000 that was hidden in like FedEx boxes. Yeah. Because <laughs> they got to laundry that money. Like, like yeah. how do you, um, you know, you, you can't put it in your bank account. You put it so, in your freezer. Right. So they, they have these FedEx boxes full of cash yeah. that they got to find other ways to, right. to wash it and get rid of it. It's, it's crazy. And they even had a condo purchased for them uh, in Florida. Um, another thing that happened as a result of this was in 2009, there was a House Bill 1648 that was put forward to create an interbranch commission on juvenile justice mm -hmm. to examine the prior cases and look into the mess that was left after the judges were Good. convicted. That was bipartisan across the board. Everybody voted for this commission. And um, they had a committee of people that went through to help clear the names of these other uh, kids. Um, and then another thing that I just wanted to mention was the name of the facilities. Oh, no. The name of the first one was Pennsylvania Child Care and <laughs> Western Pennsylvania Child Care. And the name, when you hear child care, you think daycare. You think of a place that is yes. going to be welcoming or warm. And it's this complete, you know, opposite thing uh, that, that was a place that crushed the spirit and yes. souls of kids. And uh, the fact that Sia Varela was this Catholic, mm. it just upsets me because it, it reminds me of that, that, that verse of whatever you have done to the least of my brethren, you have done unto me. Mm. You know, like that's the story, right? That you hear where, um, that, that you're supposed to treat everybody and, and help those that are right. at their weakest. And when the rich people in that story are like, well, what are you talking about, Jesus? We, we, when, when didn't we clothe you? When didn't we give you food? And he's like, Whenever you passed any other poor person on yes. the road, yeah. that's when you did it to me too, buddy. Like, yeah. you're not living. It can't just be about me. It's about everyone, about your community. And, and he's such a hypocrite. 
And it's like, oftentimes, it's those that are the most pious. Right. Well, and also they use it when they, when it's uh, the most convenient. Yes. You know, lawmakers, they don't think about that when they're cutting, you know, funding to to poor mothers or right taking away food stamps yeah they're not thinking about health care let's i mean let's talk about health care for middle america like this is this is a huge uh you know slap in the face so uh, you know you can't call on your lord and savior when you're running for office and then turn around turn your back on on the the people who need the the most help when you when you have when you have the ability to help people yeah and he just is this I mean, he came off as this judge, you know, I'm tough on crime. I'm going to throw kids in jail. And it just, at least to me, reminded me of the larger problem that came out of, because around this time that he's a judge, three strikes, you're out rule, Mm. you know, putting people in prison for minor crime. All of that is sort of the the atmosphere that he's living in, like across America. Well, yeah. And it's this microcosm of this bigger problem that America still is dealing with. Girl. And it highlights the problems of things like Geo Group. You honey, know? Honey, I mean, Geo say Group. Save for the people in the back. Geo Group yeah. sucks. <laughs> yeah. They're on the New York Stock Exchange. You know what I mean? Yeah. This, it's a business with stocks that people have a vested interest in. Yes. And as part of their business plan, they have ways to fill spots. That this is not right. And that anyone in their right mind would approve this on a state level, I, I think it's just completely wrong. This th- this case alone should be the prime example of why we can't have this type of system. It's a human rights issue. So accountability, it's just driving me nuts. No, I see your face. I see how, fr- I, see oh, how I, I love when it you go upset, on it. I like when you go upset. on a tangent, but here's know, it's, the, it's upset no, me. Please, it's, that's why we have a podcast so our husbands don't have to hear us yelling about this. <laughs> But I think part of it too is that uh, you know we have we have this country has more people in prison than I think anywhere in Correct. this world, and it's Correct. like you know we, we you you know prisons are are a necessary evil or necessary not evil but a necessary thing for people who commit cr- that are evil people and need to be behind bars like that is no yes. one's sitting here arguing saying please Ted no, Bundy put him in yeah. jail yes no one's saying oh f- peace and love oh you yeah. killed somebody you're cool let go no, no. nobody's saying that. But when you, when it's the same thing with like schools that are for, for profit, if you have Correct. like a charter school or Correct. something like, you know, it's, it's it, about filling seats. Yes. When you start changing the reason that you're providing the service and it becomes about making money instead of actually providing that service, it's, there's something, some things go awry. Correct. Because people are greedy. It's part of our human nature. Yeah, you know it really is. You can either be greedy for cookies like me, or you can be greedy for money like you know, like like Geo Group. You know, yeah. like that's just and how it goes. Yeah, and it's 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 um, it's people who they're just they're hungry. Mm-hmm. They're hungry for power. They're hungry for wealth, and they don't care. Yeah, they don't care. Well, it looks like it eventually ca- caught up with them. So yeah. that's two people at least. <laughs> I know. So that's the story of this cruel, selfish former judge, Mark Ciavarella, stained with corruption. He's just a scumbag. That's really sad. It's it's terrible. Like, and, and, and you know, these kids now are grownups. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what happens to you when you're young marks who you are and what you do and... It just, it's, it's very sad to me. 
thousands, families. No, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's terrible. Do me a favor. Next week, do not do a story with children in it. Because I feel like every story you've done the last I know, few weeks have yes, been kids, I and know. I want to jump out the window. Okay, I'm sorry. Because I'm like, <laughs> when you start talking about, when you said a judge or like kids, I was like, oh my God, if he touches these kids, I'm going to murder someone tonight. I like, know. I can't <laughs> take it anymore. I know. I will try. I just, but, <laughs> but these are, these are things that I think it's, it's, it's important to know that this oh, stuff yes. is happening. No, and it's that, a good story. That people, need again i say i feel like i say it all the time but who you vote for matters mm. and when you have a judge walking around during his campaign saying i'm gonna throw kids in jail that should be a really big red flag to people <laughs> yeah and and for people who are like well it doesn't matter it doesn't affect me it does affect you yeah it does affect you and it affects the people in your community so even if it doesn't affect you you should be concerned about your neighbors yeah I think that people who don't vote, we should follow them around with bells and just say shame, shame, yeah. <laughs> shame, because it is. It sh- I, I yeah. mean, so like, let me let me start my story by okay. saying exactly that. That I was listening when I was editing last week's episode. I was listening to myself go on and on and on because I'm a maniac. And so when I go on these rants like that, it's because uh, it is that important to me. Like, I know it's kind of geeky to be like love the politics or government or whatever not that i love it i i it is interesting all of it's interesting i like to see who's gonna win like i love all of that the fight the the running the campaign like there's so many it's just such so many moving parts what happens when they get there how good are they gonna be how are they gonna fight are they gonna have passion how is this affecting me local politics to me is the most interesting i the white house all right comes and goes the local local watching people rise and fall here is so interesting to me and has been for a long time. So I get crazy excited about yeah. it. And I get crazy when people blow it and they have power and they abuse it. It makes me nuts. Right. Because it's, like, it's so personally offensive to me. I find it offensive. And it's breaking a trust. You know, when you elect someone, you are trusting yes. them yeah. to make laws and even on the commissioner level, yes. like resolutions. Yes, but you know it, it. It. I mean, I don't want to go toot my own horn with that. With that wonderful review that we had, but one of those <laughs> nice gentlemen did say something that I thought was really interesting. And when we get our third mic in here, I definitely want to have a psychologist come in here. Like, let's talk about politicians. Yes. But he had said on that podcast, on that review, um, you know, it goes to the psychological effect. Like, wh- what? What is that idea of like I want to run for office? Like, what is right. going on in someone's head when they say that? Not that everyone who runs for office or gets elected is, is got a nut loose like a screw loose or whatever but like what is that right what happens there well i read this great book over the summer and i don't know if i've mentioned it on the podcast before but it was called the sociopath next door mm, no and it talked about the sociopaths in our cult in our culture mm-hmm. and when we think of them we think of like the ted bundys or the, or the people that are extreme and lacking emotion but um and it's a psychologist wrote the book and talks about how in our everyday lives there are sociopaths everywhere yeah and in the world of business in the world of uh, politics Mm -hmm. in the world of education Mm -hmm. it's about this power that you hold over people whether it's in the space of a classroom or whether it's in the space of a city council Mm -hmm. and there's something there yeah um where not all of them are devoid of emotion right but there's there's this there is a psychology there and it's such an interesting book because i was reading it and i was like oh my god yeah and it was like nurses doctors yeah and, and it, it talks about the traits but 
if you're interested, you guys should check it yeah, out it because awesome. it, it talks a little bit about it, but it would be amazing to have someone yes, talk to our listeners about we have, I mean, we you always know, go through some the of same these questions like, why are, why are, why is there a running theme here? Yeah. You know, in all of these stories and all of these people. So that brings me to the person I'm going to cover today. Mm. So I'm going to cover somebody that is very well known oh. and has been around for a while, but I became interested in this person and have always been very curious about him because of from high school like I was in high school oh. in the 90s and my after school job was to walk to the daycare center and I'd watch the kids at the like the last shift of the day before they the parents picked them up and then during the summer I was there for summer camp I was a summer camp counselor and during their nap time I would read the paper and that was in 95 96 when mm. all the shit was going down Clinton was president yes. there was uh rumors of affairs and things yes. happening and the house was blowing up the u.s house it was like it was just so much going on but this person was very uh integral integral into all of that what was going on and so i'm so excited to hear this okay so i'm gonna talk about newt gingrich oh i had a feeling <laughs> I, when you mentioned as soon as you said clinton his face popped clinton's face didn't pop up newt's but did. newt's did yes so Oh, Newt Gingrich is really oh. exciting. He's exciting character to me in the whole world. Character is a good word. Yes, because this person single-handedly created what is going on right now in DC. Like yes. we've talked about party versus party, party, po you know, party politics. The deep division. The deep division. Yeah. The the outcalling, the obstructionism, the everything that's happening in DC right now, it started with this single person that existed and was in the US House, as the Speaker of the House. But it started when he first got there. It started when he was a teenager. It started when he was a kid. Ooh. This guy has been the way he is. If I if he had a psychologist, I would pay a million dollars to read the notes. I know this person. He has got to be he's smart, he's egotistical, he thinks he he he's a know it all. You know, he's he probably the most annoying person to have a conversation with, but like the most interesting person to have a conversation right. with. But what he did, because he thinks he's so right, has set this country on a path that we are on right yeah. now, where everything is teeter-tottering and we can either straighten ourselves out or we can tip over and start the new Western civilization right. like <laughs> like Newt Gingrich had always wanted, start a new democracy. And so that was always his plan and he's very proud of where we are right now. And so uh, he's very still involved in everything going on. So sure I find is. him very interesting. I always have. I think he's uh, not my cup of tea, but definitely somebody who has to be part of that conversation when you talk about the insanity, which is these, this two-party system and yeah. everything happening. Okay. Oh, I can't, I can't wait to, to hear yes. some so, of these details. I'm going to go through it because this seems like it's going to be a long, a long podcast. So I'm going to try to go through it as, as good as I, best I can because I have a lot of notes at the end and I can just jump through some of those anyway. Okay. So let's talk about the early days of this sociopath. Okay, so Ooh, alleged, 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 alleged. alleged. <laughs> Don't sue me, Newt. I'm a big fan of your ways and your interesting things that you do. Oh my, I yeah. am. Oh, I am. I'm a fan. Listen, not a fan of like I like him. A fan oh, yes. of like his psychology, listen, his makeup. Listen, look at what he's done. It 
could it have gone another way? Yes. I'm not. A, I'm not a fan. Like I want him to. Like, look, he's run for president. Like he's 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 a, he's, a, he's off his he's yeah. off his rocker. But I don't agree with him on any of these things. Yeah. But he's just fascinating. He's, he's a fascinating, absolutely figure. fascinating person. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I don't want to make it sound like I'm a, a fan. Fan. Your <laughs> eyes like lit up. I was sorry. Okay. So Newton Leroy McPherson was born in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, on June seventeenth, nineteen forty-three. His mother Kathleen and father Newton uh, McPherson married in September. 1942 when she was 16 years old and and uh, mcpherson excuse me mcpherson was 19 so great uh I, I'll, we'll list our sources but one of the things that i watched was a frontline episode um you know the pbs frontline they did a whole thing about newt gingrich mm. in 1996 oh it's fantastic it's about an hour long it's so good and his mother is in it and she is exactly like the grandmother from napoleon dynamite oh dear and she's smoking <laughs> cigarettes and she's called a nudie nudie oh nudie we got our nudie like that's how she was it perfection i'm I telling you it. everything about this guy is just so fascinating so the marriage fell apart within days because days he hit her right <gasps> after the wedding and she's like Bye. And she's like peace motherfucker yeah meanwhile she's pregnant so nine months later newton is born a little nudie mm. is born right so she had already left him which is good for her, you know? Yeah. Yes. Stand up for yourself, lady. So in 1946... Um, but but to be a, a single... 16-year-old mother. Not divorcee. Easy. Yes. Not easy. No. And she worked in a um, a manufacturing plant. Like, this was during the war. Like, you know, she was she was in there, like, one of those women who were working in the... Yeah. You know? Um, so, gosh, I, it's... I want to know more about his mom. <laughs> yeah, she was cool. And yeah. so she he was raised by her and his grandmother and they like doted on him. Of course, that was his her baby. Yeah. And um, she even said in the interview, like, she goes, oh, it was terrible that the marriage fell apart, but we got our nudie and that's all that matters. I'd rather have him than not have, you know, it's like she was just grateful that she had this yeah. beautiful baby. So in 1946, his mother married Robert Gingrich, who adopted him. So Robert Gingrich was a career army officer who served in Korea and Vietnam. And he was very stern and strict mm. and very much was an influence on this on on newt and so um everything was military everything was a they he moved them to to europe in 1956 in orleans france and then they moved to germany and everything was like going and touring where a battle was and and the father would sit there and tell them about all the things that happened that were right and wrong and if the if there were politicians who did this and politicians who did that then it would work this way and it was always about st for 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 newt for to look up to his father like to be a part of the conversation he really did study warriors and fighters and and uh generals yeah, but that's and interesting because like, it's yes. strategy it's, totally everything yeah. was about that and history and I history mean, and like I, being a leader and being able and to make to take decisions. them yes. to take him to these historic sites and have those conversations yes I mean, that's that's yes. pretty cool and um i something else i thought was interesting is like his friends they would watch a bunch of westerns like that was what was on tv at the time yeah, so everything well. was about the good guy and the hero and the you mm. know what i mean okay um uh, they lived, so they ended up moving to Hummelstown, Pennsylvania, and they were living on uh, military bases uh, when, where his father was stationed. And then in 1960, during his junior year in high school, the family moved to Georgia at Fort Benning. Um, in 19 so he's like a military kid. He's going, yes. going all around, or a yes. military brat, right? That's what yes. they call him. Yeah. Um, in, in, in high school also, he, which I thought was really great is that he played football and some of his friends that were in this interview were saying that they, his head is, is literally like 
I mean, in, in, it's just big. It just it's got a the huge, physically has a huge head. And they, mm-hmm. there was no helmet in the state of Georgia that would fit him. Like they had to send out to get a helmet oh, to fit him God. because his head is just humongous. I Can love you imagine? That. So in 1961, Newt graduated from Baker High School in Columbus, Georgia. So. I'm just imagining like an apple on a stick now, like for yes. his head. You know, he's got that big, he's got that big puffy hair. Yeah. But there's a big head in there to cover up the fact. I don't think the hair's puffy. I think he just has poofy. I think he just has a big head. Yeah. Okay. So Literally is, and figuratively. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. So this is what was happening in high school, though. Newt started dating his 24-year-old math teacher, Jackie Bailey. Dang. Okay. So he's in high school? He's in high school. He's just a senior in high school and he's dating his 24-year-old math teacher and they have to sneak around all the time. Her name's Jackie, Jackie Batley. And um, against his father's wishes, he followed her to Atlanta to attend college. And they were married in 1962 when Newt was 19 and Jackie was 26. They had their first daughter in 1963 and their second daughter in 1966. So uh, here's my observation from all of this from what I can tell. Uh, and what, how his friends would describe him. He was just a very big geek and he was a know-it-all and he was this political, like, you know, that's all he was all, wanted to talk about all the time. Yeah. And like, I don't think people really enjoyed or I don't know if that really attracted girls to him. Right. You know what I mean? So like, Maybe. of course, a more mature woman, I know 24, 26, but more mature than a, a 15 or right. 16 or 17 year old I mean, this is someone girl. who's made their way through college already and yes. has had experiences. So. Yeah. I don't know. That was my observation from it. And she's an educator, so maybe she just was, you know, had good conversations with him. Yes. So um, he had been interested in politics since he was a teenager. While living in France, I told you how his his father would take him to see all these things. And and also the father would talk about the sacrifices that were, that all of these men made because of political decisions. You know what I mean? Like these men that died. So it was a big influence on him. Um, as a kid. Anyway, I don't know why that's down there. I put it in the wrong place, but anyway, I'm bringing it up again. Okay. So Gingrich received a bachelor's degree in history from Emory University in Atlanta in 1965. school. And And then uh, he went on to graduate uh, study, went on to graduate study at Tulane University, earning a master's and a PhD in European history. Okay. So he's, this is his gig. This all kind of makes sense. I mean, this is how he grew up and he's pursuing this interest. Yes. The thing that boggles the mind for me is um, people who study history, who like go to college and study any sort of liberal arts degree, whether it's English or history or social science, and you are reading all these texts and being exposed to all of these perspectives that they, that he turns out the way that he does. Mm -hmm. Like you've read books. Right. (laughs) Right. You're educated. We're going to get into why he does, why he thinks the way he does, but um he spent six months in brussels working on a dissertation his dissertation was this this is the title belgian Ooh. education policy in the congo from 1945 to 1960 yeah well you gotta because you gotta find something no yeah, one ever random. wrote about before yeah. you know in 1970 something obscure. Yeah, 1970 gingrich joined the history department at west georgia college as an assistant professor so people were surprised that he went this way so you know we gotta Wait, remember what surprised? time it is so it's 1970 and you know, he is thinking about running for office. Like he's not, you know, so somebody had said, you know, I don't know if he was an academic who liked politics or a politics who became an academic. Like, you know, the fact that he became a teacher, fine. But, you know, he always liked the back and forth. He liked the, the debate. The debate. He liked all of those things. And 
at one point they in when he was in New Orleans they talked about this friend said that they went to see Jefferson Airplane and people were like smoking weed or whatever and he was just looking around going well what's the political you know what can I get out of this that's political like what's the significance like every oh, everything so he's obsessed everything was about that everything like I can't even imagine mm. like going to a grocery store and be like what's the political significance of a tomato well, but, like everything yeah. for this guy was about but the, I can kind of the, the, the see politics. this idea of. I can see this perspective and I like the the idea of like that everything you do, there is, there's an agenda. Yes. Right. And everyone's trying to sell you something, some message somehow. Yeah. And so maybe it wasn't like necessarily political, but he's probably like, what's Jefferson airplane trying to sell me? Like what? Yes. What, what agenda are they about? And, right. and with music, like people, they are sending some sort of yes. message. Yeah. So, but he just, He's also somebody so he's who looking like, at can't it enjoy everywhere. it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he can't enjoy just life because he's over here like always busy. And so, mm. but he chose this school on purpose because it was in the congressional sixth district of uh, Georgia. And um, somebody had talked about uh, that he was let, when he would talk to the kids there and especially like this young Republicans club or whatever, he would talk about how the problem with the Republican party was that they're not, pushing people to be disruptive and be rude and take a stand. Mm. And, you know, he really even then was talking, talking to these kids about kids, you know, college kids about where the problem, where the party goes wrong and how they could fix it and how they need to be disruptive and in your face. And that's how he was then. Okay. Okay. So um, in 1974, Newt made his first bid for political office, but he wouldn't be elected until his third try. So let's talk a little bit about those. So in 1974, Gingrich made his first bid for political office as the Republican candidate in Georgia's 6th Congressional District, which stretched from the southern um, Atlanta suburbs to the Alabama state line. He lost to a 20-year incumbent Democrat, Jack Flint, by 2,770 votes. Now, Democrats were still in power all across the South because this still was the Southern Democrat. There was yeah. no, like, Republicans weren't... The fact that this guy was running, Gingrich was running, people, like, almost made a joke, like, there's no way. Yeah. But he made up huge margins. So it got really... It was closer than any Republican had gotten and before. And this is the first seat he's running for. He never held any other yes, office. that's right. Mm. So, um... So he didn't want to start small. He wanted to... yes. Um, And he did well against Flint, although 1974 was a disastrous year for Republican candidates nationally due to the fallout from the Watergate scandal of the Nixon administration. So Gingrich sought a rematch against Flint in 1976. While the Republicans did slightly better in the 1976 House elections than in 1974 nationally, the Democratic candidate in the 1976 presidential election was former governor of Georgia, Jimmy Carter. And Mm. Jimmy Carter, you know, won. And so Gingrich lost his race by this time 5,100 votes. Um, as Gingrich primary, as, as Gingrich primed for another run in the 1978 elections, cause it's every two years, Flint decided to retire. So mm. now the guy he's always been running against. So now he's got, now he sees his, his shot. He sees a bit of an opening. Yes. So the person that he was running against was, uh, state Senator Virginia Shepard. And this campaign got really nasty. And this is the first real glimpse into, um, 
who he was going to be and he really like she was a little bit of a heavier woman and so their ads that they ran like had this a like a a, a a woman's hand that was like a little bit fat i guess that's how the guy described it and it had like a huge like cuff on it they said like an ss you know cuff or something and a big rubber stamp and she was just stamping no 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 on everything um it just was it was and they and they ran ads that just weren't necessary the guy was saying this is guy who worked wow. on his campaign was just like there's just things that we did that weren't necessary but but of course, Newt was like, go, go. Like he was just about, he didn't care. He didn't care how nasty a guy right. and he didn't care about how he talked about this woman. And so, when, so he's playing dirty. So, totally. Cause he could, you could still doing things that they never could, did before. Right. You could campaign against someone and highlight, you know, choices that they've made. Right. You know, decisions, but to, to highlight something about a physical trait. Yes. No, no, no. This is, it was, it was, it was going in. We're going in. So when it looked like it wasn't going to happen, his wife, Jackie, wrote a letter that went out to the whole district that started out like, dear neighbor, my husband, this and this, and it like Mm. went on and it helps him a lot. And in the letter, she talked about how that the woman candidate was going to leave her family behind if she went to D.C. while Newt's going to bring us with him to D.C. because he's a family man. Does this remind you of Corey, you know, Knutson? Yes. Right. But how does she know? It's just a way to be right. like, he's a great no, guy and she's awful because she's a woman and she's not going to be abandon where she's family. supposed to be. Exactly. Ugh. So he ends up winning. He beats her. And even there was film. I, I keep talking about Frontline, but it was so fantastic. But there's a film of the winning of, of his campaign, of his election night, and he won. There was a belly dancer in the middle of the on a like a what? stage in the middle of the thing she's doing the scene everybody's looking at her I'm like what the fuck is this this what? is like a the weirdest belly dancer yeah that's their celebratory like forget the balloons it bring in the belly dancers like, it just was like it went right to like what he wa- like he's just gross okay yeah. he's gross cuz well let's talk about why so the worst part about the fact that he wrote this letter is that he was cheating on his wife the whole time during this campaign with a young oh. camp- woman on his staff oh and the staffers oh. all knew about it and they felt bad. And but he doesn't resign. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. This is while he was running during the campaign and he's cheating. Meanwhile, she writes this letter. Oh, Newt's going to bring us to D.C. Honey. No. Meanwhile, she had uh, uterine cancer. His wife, Jackie. <gasps> oh, no. And so she had had surgery. And, um, and he's banging one- some staffer yes. during her time of need. And she's taking time out of her care to write a letter for him. Listen. Wow. He's bad. Bad news. So um, after he won, a year after the election, he demanded a divorce. And Jackie Uh. did not want to get divorced. She was very upset. And she was completely shocked. And he this is an actual quote. No. And this is an actual quote from his campaign treasurer. He said that Newt said to him, quote, she's not young enough or pretty enough to be the wife of the president. And besides, (gasps) she has cancer. Okay, so first, let oh me, my god, dude, he's a piece of shit. First of all, let me show you some pictures because I completely oh forgot. Oh my god, this is nude as a professor. Oh dear, he, see that oh, big ass head? Yes, girl, please. He reminds me. There's an actor he reminds me of. And look how he's like got his hands folded. He's totally lecturing people, yeah. and you know that in the other side of this, people are rolling their eyes hard. Oh I'm like, god. oh god, I can't. We gotta listen to. This I dick. do want those glasses though. Yeah. <laughs> this is a picture of his first wife, um, Jackie. She's the one who he left, who had cancer. And she was the one who's a little, she's a little older than him. She's only a couple of years older. I, I said a little, but this is the, this what? is the election night when he won. A horrible, horrible person. Well, that's what we're going to talk about. Let's talk about that. So that's uh, what he said about her. So, like she has cancer, like peace, we're, we're done. And, and there are people who think that this person, I, I oh, mean, yeah, these, family values, these, the family values. Yeah. 
these are people, I, I feel like people's actions mm-hmm. speak volumes about who they are. Yeah. Like not their words. Yeah. And, and what he did, and yet, and also his words here, but, but to set, say I'm family values and I'm this and I'm that. Yeah. And then what you do, that's, that's who you are. Well, when you go and watch the front line, which I'd really like it oh, if you go this to do poor that. Woman. But if you go and watch that, um, you can see how, how disgusted they were with him, the people who worked on his campaign, how, how, how horrible they thought that he was because of this. Because, um, during that, during that year, right before he left her, he started having an affair with this woman, Marianne Ginther. And he visited Jackie in the hospital right after she had had surgery, um, from the cancer. And another, she had two surgeries. So the second one, he goes to visit her. Their daughters are in the room. At this age, I think the daughters are like 12 and 10 or something. Right. And they're in the room and he's like, he's about to go to DC. And he says to her, like, he takes out a notepad and he's like, we need to start discussing like the separation and like, alimony and like child support we need to, and the, she's just gotten out of surgery from cancer and oh she was so God. disgusted she threw him out of the room yes she was so fucking pissed she's like get the fuck out of here yes meanwhile like she thinks she's going to dc could you imagine she okay. wrote a letter and he's like see you later oh my yeah. god so he went to dc to start serving his first term and jackie had nothing he refused to pay alimony, refused to pay child support. A former friend of Newt who worked on his campaign had to help her get to their local church and ask for donations to keep the lights on and oh the heat my on God. to help with food. He left their girl, her and the girls with nothing because she wouldn't sit down and have this conversation because they had a pastor and the pastor was even interviewed on frontline he's like she didn't want this like she was shocked and then when every time they try to talk about it she's like i have fucking cancer right. like i'm sick she, she can't focus and then he leaves and he's with this other woman and then that's it like he doesn't and and nothing to his girl he doesn't care about those children nothing oh dear. they eventually now like today are part of his organizations and all this stuff but Okay, so six months after his divorce... I wonder how much that cost him. I know. So six months after his divorce, Newt marries the woman he is having an affair with, Marianne Ginther. And one person said that Marianne was younger than Newt and in the ways that she was more impressionable. So when he said things about how he was going to save Western civilization, she went along. Like, she was impressionable, like, in a way where she was like, oh, that's great. Oh, you know unlike oh, normal God. women who are his age who'd be like shut the fuck up yes. i got dishes to do motherfucker yeah. like yeah. did you take the trash out yeah. she's like oh newt you're great no you're gonna but, save western yeah. civilization yeah i'd okay. be like okay first can you just help me with the lawn because yeah. it looks like shit thank you okay oh, how about how about that's what happens when you about, get young dummies yeah how about you pay <laughs> some child support yeah how about pay some child support how about take care of your family that you've left behind right okay so Let's talk about the U.S. House. So now he's there. When he arrives in D.C., he started his own little army of electeds who thought like he did. And he's convincing them to like, you know, this is what the things we have to do. You know, he's still about his like uh, talking shit about people, being uh, disruptive and da, 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 da. So Newt learned that the best way to get attention of the press was to be controversial and quotable. And his goal was to build a Republican majority, which many thought would be impossible because of the Nixon mess. They're right. like, there's no way Republicans are taking power anytime soon, right? So he used new media like C-SPAN to get out his message. And at the end of one session in 1984, he went on this very long speech about how Democrats were soft on communism and other like, mm. you know, broad complaints about right. de- about Democrats. But the fact the de- the chamber was empty. 
there was nobody in the chamber. And so if, if they, they show this in the show, if you span back, you see that there's like nobody there. So that's how, you know, when you watch C-SPAN today, yeah. like, people are giving speeches. There's nobody really yeah. out there. So he's saying these horrible things about Democrats in and 1984 no about communism and, de- you know, we're dead, the uh. red, the, 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 the Russian bullshit. Like he's talking about things that were like crazy, accusing, sitting elected officials right. of co- being soft on communism and there's nobody there to defend themselves yeah and and god just to think to today yeah i would love to hear his stance <laughs> yeah well of, i'm sure he would you tell know. you so no democrats Ugh. replied because there was nobody there but the next day the democrats were fucking outraged right and the speaker of the house at the time was uh, democrat tip o'neill and mm. the next day he said this quote uh quote my personal opinion is this because newt gingrich was back on the floor and now the the fucking the whole house is full yeah. and he's on the floor now going to have to def- talk about the shit that he said the day before and now the democrats are like coming after him so tip o'neill says quote my personal opinion is this you deliberately stood in that well before an empty house and you challenged these people and challenged their americanism and it is the lowest thing that i have seen in my 32 years in congress end quote which I mean, he's honestly, wait, he's dirty. He has no idea what's about to happen. Like, he has no idea what this, this guy is about to do. And so what, what, what then happened after that is this three hour, um, long, you know, old fashioned partisan ideological shootout on the floor of the house, like between the two of them. Like he's sitting there with his fingers, you know, interlocked on the, the podium going back and forth with Tip O'Neill, who's again, this veteran of the house. Right. Pr- you know, people worked bipartisan at the time. They yeah. worked across the aisle and G- Newt Gingrich is coming in about to throw, throw yeah. all that up in the air and was pushing back, pushing back, pushing back. Anyway, everybody was against him and he was standing there by himself, proud as hell, right? And um, what it God, really did arrogance. is shine a light. Yeah. And what it really did is shine a light on the little, what this no, unknown person, Newt Gingrich, and he started to bring him to the forefront of politics. Like people were like, who is this guy? Because he was really trying to become known so he can push his agenda and the things he wanted to do. Yeah, he's that fly. Yes. So in 1987, he launched an assault against the Speaker of the House, Jim Wright, by accusing him of ethical misconduct, including that Wright had made $60,000 on a book deal. During the investigation, though, it was reported that Gingrich had his own unusual book deal for a book called Window of Opportunity, in which publicity expenses were covered by a limited partnership. Mm. It raised $105,000 from Republican uh, political supporters to promote sales of Gingrich's book. So even though he's throwing shade, like he's not that great either, right? right? And it took two years, but Gingrich that's, that's finally the game, though, right? Yes. It's 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 that's yeah. the game. Like I'm going to call you out for this. Meanwhile, I'm uh, yeah. doing all of this other yeah. stuff, and that's how he was, and that's how he, he was. Not this great, like clean guy. So it took two years, but Gingrich finally took down Jim Wright as Speaker of the House, and this was a big, big moment. That, that he did this yeah. and everybody knew that he was the one that was, was responsible because he wouldn't let shit go and finally Jim Wright had to step down so um, but he had ideas about Republicans too Newt Gingrich like he knew that he this is what he knew he knew that, that to really save the western civilization he had to also defy the old Republican ways of caving into Democrats because you have to remember what it was like in the you know it was 40 years of democratic yeah. rule like this was not republicans they would work together although he called it caving in they would work together on right. things and so he didn't want that anymore and then in 1990 president george hw bush quote caved in to democrats on a tax increase and newt was the minority whip in the house at the time and he defied the party and refused to support the president 
behind the scenes, he was building a a political power to take over the House. He took over a political action committee called GOPAC and made it an instrument for his conservative vision. They raised more than $15 million to recruit and train new conservative candidates. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. And a lot of their donors were private, but they were major corporations um, and insurance companies and people like that. Oh, I um, hate these super PAC kind I know. of things. I hate them. I know. I like the idea of recruiting and training candidates. Like oh. that is one thing he did that was genius and that we don't do, that parties, at least the Democratic Party doesn't do a lot of and yeah. they really, really should. But that was really smart because it well, ends and, up paying off And he's off training him. them in his ideology. Of Here we go. New Bitch, you got it. Like, Republican. let's talk about how, we're, how yeah. this is unbelievable what he does. So in 1990, after consulting focus groups, GOPAC distributed a memo with a cover letter signed by Gingrich titled Language, um, a key mechanism of control that encouraged Republicans to, quote, speak like Newt. It contained lists of con- contrasting words with negative connotations such as radical, sick, and traitors and optimistic, positive governing words such as opportunity, courage, and principled that Gingrich recommended for using in describing Democrats and Republicans respectively. Oh, wow, I so, love this. So he is just like, he's created this rhetorical yes, machine yes. to train people. Yes, and... They did things like make cassette tapes because everybody listened to cassette tapes then. Yeah. And he would send them out to um, Republicans that were elected to state house or to state office, you know, any elected official that's in a state in in the United States. And he would send them the tapes and they they ate them up. They loved them. They It became like a mantra that now we are going wow. to start talking like this. And be like this. So he his ideals relied on this very romantic idea of a lost America. Sound familiar? Oh, God, Make America great again? Yeah. Sound good? Yeah, that's exactly the same same bullshit. So within the GOPAC, um, though, he accepted money from big corporations and promoted them in the tapes and videos he was selling. Okay. God. Oh my God. Yeah. His he also Swindler. took money. Yeah. He also took money from these companies for his foundation, his campaign, Ugh. and soft money for the party. It all gave an appearance of corruption by someone who was trying to sell this good old American guy, you know, image, right? So around this time in 1993, his second marriage was in trouble. While he was still married to Marianne, Gingrich began an affair with oh, House surprise, of Representative Staffer. Yeah, with House of Representative Staffer Callista uh, Bissick, more than two decades younger than him. So Gingrich was having this affair even as he led the impeachment of Bill Clinton for perjury related to Clinton's oh. own extramarital affair. My favorite. Oh, I love it. Such so, a hypocrite. yeah, Gingrich eventually filed for divorce from Marianne in 1999, a few months after she had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Wow. So he's he's basically like, oh, you're sick. Oh, Peace. Right. Oh, you, you your pinky finger broke. Yeah. I'm out. Bye. Oh, your back's a little upset. Yeah. I got to go. Yeah, it's not good. So in January, and who is this woman that's like, I'm here? Like, oh, look honey. at how well you've treated your other past oh, my God. women I in your life. Believe... I can't wait to marry. And you. I keep forgetting to show you these pictures. I'm so sorry. So this is Marianne when they got married. This is his second wife, the one he left in 1999. So I mean, she has to just be seeing like dollar sign prestige. I'm going to be look the wife. Look how much of younger this. she is. Yeah, right. Which is why he probably likes them because they're like, ooh. And then nothing or, against or, young women. No, no, I mean, no. Just please. Uh, it's probably, you know, if, if he seems like this guy who... In power, maybe. Yeah, but he manipulates. Yeah. He's so smart. And he needs people. And maybe over time, 
his wives saw through. Of course, Tina. We all do. You know, we all see through it. I'm watching that stupid fucking reality show. Love is blind. And they're all like, oh, this is so great. And I was watching it. And my daughter walked in. I go, yeah, until you fucking tell them, why is your juice glass sitting on the counter? Can't you put it in the fucking sink for me? You know, then love not blind anymore, bitch. Okay. And this is the one. This is his third wife who he's having an affair with. And, um, during the Clinton oh. impeachment. So they met. She, she looks a little older now, but you see those crazy eyes. You know, no, just oh, everything about her is very. Yeah. She's, you know, uh, hanging around DC looking word? for a husband. It's, 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 gosh, the angles, everything is sharp. Yes. Um, harsh. Yeah. There's, there's something just it screams, cold, icy. It kind of screams Republican to me. It does. Yeah. So let's get through this. I don't want to, oh my God, this episode is going to be so long. So, um, which is fine. I'm fine with it. It's okay. Um, Because there's so much to talk about with Newt. Between his affairs and everything else, like how can you get through all this? So I'm just going to jump ahead a little bit, but we're going to come back to 1994. But on January, for his marriages, let's like talk about that. So January 19th, 2012, Marianne alleged in an ABC Nightline um, interview that she had des- declined to accept Gingrich's suggestion of an open marriage. That's his second wife. So he, of course, denied that. Uh, in August 2000, Gingrich married Callista four months after his divorce from Marianne was finalized. Um, and then later on, he said something about in this interview in 2011, he said, quote, there's no question at times in my life partially driven by how passionately I felt about this country that I worked too hard and things happened in my life that were not appropriate, unquote. Oh, please. <laughs> you know, he loves America, honey. So he's got to get them blowjobs oh, from uh, the assistants. Please. <laughs> oh, please. Give me a break. Oh, I'd accept that excuse for my husband any day. Oh, honey, yeah. you work so hard. You deserve it. Yeah. Get it, hon. Mm. All right, so let's get into this. This is uh, now he's okay. So in 1994, the contract with America uh, in the 1994 campaign season, in an effort to offer an alternative to Democratic policies and to unite distant wings of the Republican Party, Gingrich and others, several other Republicans came up with a contract with America, which laid out 10 policies that Republicans promised to bring to a vote on the House floor during the first 100 days of the new Congress if they won the election. The contract was signed by Gingrich and other Republican candidates for the House of Representatives. The contract ranged from issues such as welfare reform, term limits, crime, and a balanced budget with tax limitation amendment to more specialized legislation such as restrictions on American military participation in United Nations in United Nations mm. missions. <laughs> oh, and please. then what happens? In the November 1994 elections, Republicans gained 54 seats and took control of the House for the first time since 1954. For 40 <sighs> years, Democrats had power in the House, and he did this with this, with th- this was all it's on him. strategic. And he took all it's of that. strategic. Yes, and all of that accolades went to like, this is the person who did this because he had been working with the candidates, building them up, building a message, building a bench, putting, you know, contract And, for and putting a, a 10 point thing, right? We're oh, going to do very one, clear. two, three. Yes. yes. And people like that. They want to yes. know. They yes. want to know one, two, three. Okay. What are you going to do for me? Yes. Yeah. So longtime House Minority Leader Bob Mitchell of Illinois had not secret run, a, had not run for re-election, giving Gingrich the highest ranking Republican, be, becoming the highest ranking Republican returning to Congress. 
and then of course becoming speaker. So oh, people must have been like, oh dear God, here we go. Yeah. Give this guy a microphone. Oh no. Yes. So the midterm election that turned congressional power over to Republicans changed the center of gravity in the nation's capital. And Time magazine named Gingrich its 1995 man of the year for his role in the election. It was a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal that that happened. Um, and that's a lot of work. <laughs> you know, we know what that takes. And that's a lot oh. of, that's a lot of fucking work that he did yeah. that. So the I mean, he's a mastermind totally. planner. Totally. And no hold bar like this is this the plan. Is a, we don't and it's deviate. across the country. Yeah, it's huge. It's humongous. Yeah. So it's the House, incredible. and this is another amazing thing. The House passed all but one of the contract's 10 commandments in the first 100 days of office. Wow. And I remember this too. You can see video of this of when they had a big show of it in front of, in front of Congress at the building outside. They had tables and one by one they came up to the table and they signed that contract like coming and then he had a big press conference about what a big, it was a big deal that they, that they did that. Yeah. So now with all of this success, the harsh glare of the spotlight was on Newt Gingrich and started to expose all of his flaws and his excesses. Yeah, but, Finally. Where, but you know, where is he today? Yeah. He, oh no, he's still involved. You know involved. what I mean? Oh no, nothing. Yeah. So... 84 ethics charges were filed by Democrats against Gingrich during his term as speaker regarding his book deal for $4.5 million and for the money that was flowing from the PAC to his campaign, to the party, and to his foundation. He ended up returning part of that book money because after the public outcry that he was cutting funding to poor families and he's taking all this millions of dollars. (laughs) Of course he is. Yeah, it's going to make the party look bad. You know, started all these dings in his armor started happening. So all were eventually dropped uh, these charges except for one, which was claiming tax-exempt status for a college course run for political purposes. These courses that they took that they that they gave yeah oh, dear god so on january 21st 1997 the house officially reprimanded gingrich in a vote of 395 in favor and 28 opposed they quote ordered him to reimburse the house for some of the costs of the investigation in the amount of three hundred thousand dollars dang it was the first time a speaker was disciplined for an ethics violation Additionally, the House Ethics Committee concluded that inaccurate information supplied to investigators represented, quote, intentional or reckless disregard of House rules. So they were giving information that wasn't right and they had to dig more. And it just became a big mess. But he was trying to cover up more things. Um, The IRS also looked into all of this stuff and they cleared him of any connections to anything. So and Mm. his in his organization. So. Regarding the situation, Gingrich said in a January 1997 interview, quote, I did not manage the effort intensely enough to thoroughly direct or review information being submitted to the committee on my behalf. So basically he's saying, like, I didn't do this, but, you know, they're trying to weaken the government by taking me down. Like, Mm. he was just saying, like, I don't have anything. But they were saying that it was a personal multimillion dollar slush fund for him. Like, that's what this was, you know, this pack. So... Also, things that came out were the affairs. So everything that had happened in his first campaign where he was sleeping with these people working on the staff when he was cheating on his wife, Jackie, and all all of this stuff started to come out. And because these women started coming out, everybody now is interested in Newt Gingrich and his past. And they're looking into his campaigns and they're starting to interview people who worked for him. And they're like, oh, he was fucking this person and that person. And it was all coming out. And so this person was proclaiming to be all about family values you know, all these stories about yeah. multiple women start coming out. That's another ding on his on his armor, right? Especially the first story about his first marriage yes. and how she had cancer and he was like, peace, you know? Yeah. like I mean, it's, it's what an awful bad. human being. Yeah. So there were two government shutdowns also that really hurt the the Republicans during that time. 
Um, during the budget battle in 1995, Gingrich and the incoming Republican majority's promise to slow the rate of government spending conflicted with the president's agenda for Medicare, education, the environment, and public health, leading to two temporary shutdowns of the federal government totaling 28 days. Clinton said Republican amendments would strip the U.S. Treasury of its ability to dip into the federal trust to avoid a borrowing crisis. Republican amendments would have limited appeals by death row inmates and made it harder to issue health, safety, and environmental regulations. It, it, they were things that were, it was just, it was normal policy things. And, and they're causing this big shutdown. Yes. And so he was, and, and Clinton so kept vetoing it. And this it was is like, so reckless. It, ended up, it really ended up coming down to this Medicare um, premiums of like, Clinton wanted it to be, stay at the 4250 a month for p for seniors and and um and the republicans wanted it to be 5350 it's like $11 of bullshit over the medicaid premiums you know yeah um and of course it's not good when you shut down the government because no. people don't get paid and it's it becomes a huge thing so um during the crisis gingrich's public image suffered from the perception that the republicans hardline budget stance was owed partly to an alleged snub of Gingrich by Clinton during a flight on Air Force oh, One. God. So there was this thing where they were on this plane and the budget, the there was a shutdown, right? And so they were saying Gingrich, Gingrich wanted to sit down and talk to Clinton on the plane. And Clinton was like, fuck you. Like, I'm yeah. not talking to you. And he was, of course, completely offended. And then he complained that he, and to the press, he complained that he and Robert and Bob Dole, who was the Senate majority of the time, were instructed to use the plane's rear exit to deplane, saying that the snub was, quote, part of why you ended up with us sending down a tougher continuing continuing resolution, end quote. Oh, so, so like, you're just mad? So yes. your personal anger, you're going to disrupt yes. the entire country? Yes. That's nice. Yeah. So Gingrich was That's widely nice. lampooned for implying that the government shutdown was a result of his personal grievances, including a widely shared editorial cartoon oh, depicting him as a baby showing at the, a tantrum. So here's the picture. Oh, <laughs> the, the front of the I New York Daily it. News. says cry baby. It. It's fantastic. So this it actually now, reminds me of the giant baby Trump. Yes. And what also was happening at the time um, is that uh, the Democrats that were now in the House were doing the same shit to him that he would do to, Repu to he was doing to Democrats when he was. Uh, a, a he House. can't take it. He can't take it. He They're out there. It. He's a baby. One, uh, uh, this woman from Colorado had like a fake award, and she was like, "Oh, I guess we can say that the award for best actor is for a child this year goes to Newt Gingrich." Like this is all now happening on the House floor. Like all on the of House the, floor on the House floor. Like all and people are like laughing, and I'm oh like, my God. "This is what you started, bro." I like, know, but at the same time, like, I, this is government. I what are these know, people doing? I know it's crazy, but oh at the same time, they're probably like, like we're sick. They held this We're up. This was on a poster. This crybaby thing was on a poster. It's like, this is what was happening. And oh my God. And people were like, it's, we he couldn't handle it. Oh my God. Yeah. So, his bruised ego. Yes. And because of all of these things that were happening, uh, leadership started to come to him and be like, okay, so here we go. So in the summer of 1997, several House Republicans attempted to replace him as Speaker, claiming Gingrich's public image was a liability true yes um the attempted coup began july 9th with a meeting of republican conference conference chairman john boehner of ohio and republican leadership chairman bill paxson of new york according to their plan house majority leader dick army house majority whip tom delay and boehner and paxson were to present gingrich with an ultimatum resign or be voted out and um 
Army, however, Army balked at the proposal to make Max, Paxson a new speaker, and then he told his chief of staff to go warn Gingrich because, oh, of course, probably he wanted to be involved, right? So people on, <laughs> like so let stupid. just let go of the ego. <laughs> I know you have funny. to do what's best for people, <laughs> not for yourselves. I this is bonkers. I love it. I love it. So. Okay, so he explained that under, so New Gingrich said that uh, under no circumstance would he step down. He, if he was voted out, then there would be a new election for speaker, and this would probably allow for the possibility that Democrats, along with dissenting Republicans, would vote in Democrat Dink, uh, Dick uh, Gephardt as speaker. But in 1999, Republicans lost five seats in the House, the worst midterm term performance in 64 years by a party that was not holding the presidency. Mm. Gingrich, who won his re-election, was held largely responsible for Republican losses um, in the House. His private polls before the election, of course, had given his fellow Republican Congress members the impression that pushing the Lewinsky scandal would damage Clinton's popularity and result in the party winning a net total of six to 30 seats in the U.S. House in that election. But of course, that didn't happen. The day after the election, a Republican caucus ready to rebel against him prompted his resignation as of the speakership. He also announced he intended and eventually uh, would eventually depart from the House in January 1999. So while re when relinqu when relinquishing the, the speakership, Gingrich said he was, quote, not willing to preside over people who were cannibals and, oh. claimed, and claimed that leaving the House would keep him from overshadowing his successor. And to me, that quote is so beautiful <sighs> because cannibals. he has created these monsters. You know, right. he created this system that turned on him. And, you know, when you're that manipulative and you're doing all that, you can't keep that up forever. You no. really cannot. And so they used all of those things against it's gonna him. going like, to come home to roost, it's, man. Absolutely. He's so I just wanted to read. Um, now, we all, we all know that New Gingrich is, of course, still very much today um around and part of politics and keeps his finger on the pulse of everything or whatever right. and he's always um, got something to say still. yes so he's still a very influential figure in american politics as i mentioned before he was an early supporter of donald trump mm -hmm. um and then this is what he said to donald trump when he said i'll support you i want three things um, the only things he wanted was that his name, if he were to be, if Trump were to win, he wanted his name to be floated around as a possible, possible person to work in the administration, like oh, in the cabinet, God. but he didn't actually want the job. He just wanted it out there. He liked that idea of his name being floating out there. This guy is um, an egomaniac. Yeah. He wanted to have access for, to the day-to-day -day happenings at the White House, which happens. What? He calls the White House six to seven times a week. And Wait, gets like what? updates about like what's happening, what's going on, how's what's, what? what's the temperature in the room? Like that's that's what? Yeah. why because that's what he wanted. That's what he gets, right? Oh my! And the God. third thing he wanted was his wife Callista, his third wife, to be appointed a U.S. ambassador to the Holy See, which is the Vatican, which was done on December twenty second, two thousand seventeen. She is a U.S. ambassador to the Vatican. Um, he's in Rome all the time. I read a very oh. recent article in the Atlantic, which and is I'm very sure good about him. And I'm sure it's on the government's dime. Oh, he's, he loves the food there. They have a great time there in Rome all the time. I'm like, this motherfucker. Basically is living yeah. a nice retirement. Yes. Traveling to Europe. Yes. Enjoying. Yep. All of that. Yeah. In Vatican City. Like what, what, what is she doing? An ambassador I, there. There's not much to do. No, no, she's a lifelong Catholic. You know, it's really, that really comes in handy when you're sleeping with someone else's husband yeah though, right right if Calista. you're following the catholic faith yeah. wait they oh. can't even be married so she is oh she, he asked he asked the pope for an annulment Did, he didn't get it no 
Thank I don't God. think I don't think it's happened, but he has Wait, requested so, an annulment from his wife so that their marriage is not is 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 like blessed by the church. Yeah, but wouldn't he have to get multiple annulments? Yes. So unless he didn't get married, and was he a Catholic? No, he was raised Lutheran, but now he is like super Catholic. Okay, but when he was married to the wife prior, was she Catholic? I don't know. That's a good question. Oh, but all I know, I know he did ask for an annulment. I'll have to okay, look so into it. Okay, so it may have been one wife. But he did wife. ask for one. So, but she then, if she is married to him, she then is committing a sin. She's committing adultery. She, she, well, honey, you do those Hail Marys, girl. You're good. You're all good, Tina. She'll be spending a long time in purgatory. Yes. So just a couple little things that I thought were really, really good that kind of drive home the part uh-huh. of like point of like how bad this, like what his, what his role was and like how <sighs> he did all these things. So a number of scholars have credited Gingrich with playing a key role in undermining democratic norms in the United States and hastening political polarization and partisan, partisan prejudice. I mean, it's, prejudice. it's terrible. It is terrible. So according according to Harvard University political scientist, Gingrich's speakership had a profound and lasting impact on American politics and the health of American democracy. They argue that Gingrich instilled a, quote, combative approach in the Republican Party where hateful language and hyper-partisanship became commonplace and where democratic norms were abandoned. And look at Um, where we are now. Yes, this is where Look at where we are now. Gingrich frequently questioned the patriotism of Democrats, called them corrupt, compared them to fascists, and accused them of wanting to destroy the United States. Boston College political scientist David Hopkins writes that Gingrich helped to nationalize American politics in a way where Democratic politicians on the state and local level were increasingly tied to the national. Another thing he did that was unbelievably mm. smart for his side. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, and they were tied to to Clinton, who was considered a uh, you know a creep, you right. know, when he was president. Okay, so I it tied mean, him to that. I know, but but at the time, yeah. that was a big deal. So according to University of Texas political scientist Sean Therolot, Gingrich had a profound influence on other Republican lawmakers, in particular those who served with him in the House as they adopted his obstructionist tactics. This last, this is very, this part is, is the most impactful, I think. A 2011 study by Therolot and Duke University, a political scientist David Rode in the Journal of Politics found that, quote, Almost the entire growth in the Senate party polarization since the early 1970s can be accounted for counted for by Republican senators who previously served in the House after 1978 when Gingrich Gingrich was first elected to the House. Gingrich elevated junior and more ideological extreme House members to powerful committees such Mm. as the Appropriations Committee, which over time led to the obliteration of internal norms in the committees. Term limits were also imposed on committee chairs, which prevented Republican chairs from developing a power base separate from the Republican Party. As a result, the power of Gingrich was strengthened and there was an increase in conformity among Republican congresspeople. So... The point of all of that is yeah. he systematically, single-handedly changed the way we conduct ourselves yeah. in the House and in Congress. Wow. And any Republican, they can study it and see how right. the influence that he had has I'm, I'm changed I'm curious it. of his relationship with Mitch McConnell. Oh, yeah. And well, I'm, I'm, so I'm he, curious as, as, as because... He to me is yes the most combative. Beyond. Yeah. Well, so I'm so, I'm curious. If, did he have the handbook? How long? Well, the the most important thing about the or the most recent thing that I read with him that was a great interview was saying that he 
loves the path that the country is on, that the government is on. This is exactly what he wanted. He lit this spark that that did this. His whole idea is to tear apart Republicans and Democrats because he thinks the entire Western civilization and the government should all fail and be rebuilt. He doesn't oh. believe that this system works. And so his idea, like Trump being elected, McConnell being the obstructionist, this is all exactly what he So he, he just wants it, it all be. to collapse. Absolutely. And then what? what is his miraculous way of rebuilding just, the world? It needs to be something else. Like he just doesn't think that this is a system that works. It all needs right. to fall so, apart. So maybe there are things that are wrong, but... This is not the way by harming the citizens of the nation. Mm -hmm. Well, and not to mention just our nation. Like, let's be honest. When I studied, you know, global uh, relationships and, 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 and international relations, the fact of the matter is the United States. Oh, our foreign policy is going to shit. It's, it totally yeah. is. So when you talk about disrupting American politics, we are sitting on a world stage with other yeah. countries. We are a global nation. We, we, we are in an international uh, uh, relations with all these countries. So when you disrupt it here, you are disrupting the relationships yeah, across the country. Across. Look at how what has gone on. So <sighs> he is just a very interesting key figure in our world. I, I love and, and it. I love that knows? he's he's um he's patient zero. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he is. He's like who zero. knows how how yeah. how long this will go on for. Maybe it will wow. all fall apart and we get to see it all get rebuilt. I don't know. I don't know what happens. But it's going to be definitely very, very interesting to see what happens. Yeah. So, oh. yeah, that's Newt Gingrich. What a wonderful, wonderful story. I love that he is, that he's patient zero and that <laughs> things can be traced back. Yes. And then thinking about 20 and 30 and 40 years from now, like when, when, when people are yes. looking at this part of history and then going back and realizing yes. like how did it happen where did it yes. come from so it's very interesting yeah so um before we end i want to talk about judge judy oh she, yes. i love judge judy She's I, my, I saw that you yeah. are are devastated yeah i pray at the altar of judge judy <laughs> and i'm very upset she's ending her show after 25 seasons but she's going to start something called judy justice i think the thing was that cbs didn't want to continue her contract yeah so they bought a bunch of her uh, from her production company they bought a bunch of her like reruns. syndicated yeah, yeah. they're going to do that but she said I'm not done. So I am so Ooh, excited. I'm curious to see her version. Oh, my God. A Judy Justice. I'm here for it. Yeah. And I'm hoping Bird's going to be there. Like, I'm so excited Aww. about the whole thing. <laughs> but I love Judge Judy. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I watch Judge Judy every morning on my on YouTube. Oh. Like, I watch reruns that are probably not supposed to be on there. Yeah. But I watch it, and I listen to her yell. I, I catch uh, occasional shows at my parents house we do like a friday night dinner <laughs> yeah and it will sometimes be on and, and my dad has always been a fan and so oh really yeah oh nice yeah so i so you know so i i enjoy it and yes. my my kids get a kick out of oh. her too yeah so. she's the best my kids say why is she so mean i go she's not mean she's direct and she's smart and she knows what she's talking about <laughs> that's what i want to be like i want to be <sighs> judge judy i love it yeah <laughs> So thank you. I'm sorry. This was a long episode, but uh, it's a good it was episode. All good. This it's is all just good. really yeah. yeah. That story is just so interesting to it me. Is. It makes me want to run and and sort of just do just just go and read <laughs> and and watch and and see because not that I've forgotten about him, but I kind of him I I kind of only think of him in relation to the Bill Clinton era. Yes. Yeah. Um. And I don't. 
I've never really thought of his role before or after. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Um, like I said, when you said Bill Clinton, like his face yeah. popped up because he was, he was like the. He was the Mitch the McConnell. Foil. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's the, the Mitch foil. McConnell to the Barack Obama. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. So we just got back from Podfest. Yay. Girl, that was so much fun. It was amazing. I feel like you saw a side of me that you've never seen before. I did. <laughs> I did, girl. But it was fabulous and I'm so happy about it. <laughs> I think it was either being out and being able to do whatever I wanted and then also knowing that we're going to be isolated. Yes. <laughs> like, let's just go. Let's just go in. wild. We're going yes. all in. It was, what did you think? I just thought it was amazing. We met some really incredible people. The sessions uh, were really helpful. I went to a lot of sessions that talked about how to promote and how to, um, you know, get ourselves in front of different audiences that I can't wait to start applying. We've already applied some of it. Yes. We've already got some uh, promo reel swaps in the in the books. And yes. It's really, really exciting that we can start, you know, uh, taking away from this. Yeah conference and using I what we learned i mean i remember thinking well this hotel is kind of expensive the ticket's kind of expensive in a way where it was just like let's pay for this thing but i feel like it paid for itself yes and it, i mean it is a thing to be away and like it, but everybody was so freaking cool and like just if you're wearing your lanyard and it says you're you're at Podfest, everybody's like oh you have a podcast what's it about and it was just such an easy interaction to meet yes. people and talk to people especially the women that were there i felt like we were oh, like connected God. with so many of these women who i just like I, I feel like we're friends now. Yes. <laughs> and I really loved um, the non-competitiveness that was yes. really highlighted, that everyone was about sharing what you know and that there's no hoarding of knowledge no. and really everyone very open about sharing tips and ideas. And, and just I the love general that. interest in what yeah. you're doing. Oh, tell me what your podcast and we'd get into it. And I feel yeah. like by the end of it, we're like, we can sell this thing right now. Yes. Like we know how to talk about this podcast now in a way that people would really find it appealing. And um, also, I feel like there were I there was I felt very good about what we are doing because I feel like a lot of the tips that we did get I was like okay we're doing all of those things yeah and then there's things I never even thought about like you said the um, promo swap where yeah. we'll, we met people we really liked and we liked their podcast and we're like hey send us a little clip about 30 seconds about your podcast and vice versa and yeah it's a way to cross promote through podcasts because another like really geeky nerdy podcast thing that I learned is like even though there's over 900,000 podcasts on Apple, only 200 and I think 67,000 yeah. or 76,000 are active, which means there's new content every week. Yes. Um, and that 30% of people actually listen to podcasts, you know, so we're all competing for this 30% number. Yeah. But they're shared audiences. So, yes. you know, um, we, we, we've met people that were like, oh, you know what? Our audience members would actually like what you're doing. It's different than what we're doing, but still kind of in the same vein or right. there's you know an edge of it that that we feel like would definitely would appeal and vice versa so that was a great thing to realize too that yes. we that there are sort of like that venn diagram of this is what we do this is what you do and in the middle there's going to be some people right that are into it so. yes and we met people that we met a guy who's actually from where i live right here in broward and so it's really exciting to meet people from south florida and being able to connect with them home because sometimes yeah. if we're sitting here we're like we're the only two people who podcast but like <laughs> it's, that's not true at all like there's plenty yeah. of people out here who are doing it near us and that'd be fun too to cross but uh we did see a piece of equipment that we really want that roadcaster pro yes and once we get that we can have a guest because we have a special guest already lined up oh my goodness which i'm so excited to have on and um 
yeah, it's going to be awesome. So it's like, it's PodFest was definitely worth it. It was my birthday weekend. Oh my God, it I was think, so much fun. <laughs> I think next week, next year, it's my birthday weekend, which is I'm like, let's do it again. Let's do it. <laughs> yes, we can't wait. Yes, it was awesome. Yeah. Thank you, PodFest. Thank you, PodFest. I would recommend everybody go. Yes. Go. All right. So everybody have a good week and we will see you next week. Yep. Bye. bye. If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level, Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.